live from the Empire of Lies and just outside the Matrix. It's time once again for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Great show today, ending the week with two fantastic guests. I'm in a good mood. Let me just get the headline out of the way. Gonzalo Lira is alive. We've been playing. He, he checked in with the Duran, and we'll be playing that tape later. But Gonzalo Lira is alive. I found out about 3 in the morning. A friend of mine called me and told me, and I promptly woke up my girlfriend, and I'm happy to have a girlfriend when I wake up at 3 in the morning to say, Gonzalo Lira's alive. She doesn't smack me in the head. She's very happy to hear Gonzalo Lira was alive. And, you know, that's a good woman. So when did you hear that Gonzalo, Rod, our producer, Rod from Philly, when did you hear that Gonzalo Lira was alive? Um, well, yesterday after the show, I was looking on Twitter uh, to the account that um, Ingrid had sent and, and, and talked about. And uh, some of the people that Gonzalo knows was interacting with it. And then I went to sleep. And then at 10 o'clock this morning, that account, uh, as far as I know, doesn't appear. And then I saw that there was that video of uh, Gonzalo on the Duran. So around 10 o'clock this morning. Okay. Now, now I told my girlfriend, if the news had come down, they found Gonzalo Lear's head in a basket somewhere, I wouldn't have woke her up. I really wouldn't have. I wouldn't have woken her up for bad news. But because it was good news, if I had woken you up at three in the morning with the news he was alive, I'm not going to do this. Don't worry, Rod, but I'm just checking. Would you have been okay with that? Yeah, no, that, that, I think that would, I would have been great. I would have been fine with that. I think it's great news that Gonzalo's alive and he can uh, talk about um, what happened. Uh, we're going to hear in the clip, he's not very specific about what happened, but uh, you know, he's alive and he's well, and he'll, he'll have more information as his days come. Well, I agree. We'll hear that in the clip, but for sure, he was picked up by the SBU, right? That's clear to you. We'll be playing the tape, but that's clear to you, right? Yeah, he like he said last Friday, he was picked up, and I believe yesterday, which would be Thursday in the Ukraine, he was released. Right, and so I so I talked to someone who's uh, critical of Scott Ritter because Scott had said he was picked up by the SBU, and he heard he'd been tortured and killed. I'm not critical of Scott Ritter at all on this point because he got the he got the story essentially right. I know it sounds like when I say this, don't get me wrong, it's a minor detail that he was not killed. What I mean by that is obviously it's the most important thing to him and to 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 me as well. But in terms of getting the story right he got it right that he was picked up by the SBU. And then after that, it was an information black hole. We weren't getting any information. And I think when Gonzalo was picked up by the SBU, in other words, Scott would have been completely wrong if he said he's fled to Poland or something like that. But he he had the part right that he'd been picked up by the SBU. And then it was a safe assumption to make if he'd heard rumors that he'd been killed, that's a fair assumption to make, right? 
Oh, no, most definitely. There's been other uh, journalists on the ground that have been killed. And so when, when somebody's missing for 24 hours it's it, or 48 hours, it's you know prevalent to find out where they are. And then as time goes by, 72 hours, more and more time, you, you believe that they're probably been killed. And then I saw some knucklehead saying last night, Gonzalo faked his death. You're an idiot. I just blocked him right away. Anybody thinking that is nuts. He was picked up by the SVU. I have no reason to doubt that. I have no reason whatsoever to doubt he was picked up by the SVU. That's clear to me what happened. Furthermore, what's in it for Gonzalo? You see what I'm saying? Saying, faking is, it, it's not faking his own death. And so don't be a, an idiot. And I seriously, I, you know, haters come out at times like this too, but you'll hear the tape. Gonzalo sounds so humble and appreciative at all the love he's been shown by people. And we definitely want to show it here. And I also don't think Scott had any bad intent. I know Scott was deeply concerned about Gonzalo and, uh, Trying to provide. He wasn't the only one. He was. Yeah, he wasn't the only one. Even Eva, Eva Bartlett believed the same as time went on. She believed he had. Uh, she was in direct contact with him as well. So, he wasn't the only one. I believe. I believe the same, and not because someone told me, but because he said that if I'm gone for 12 hours, assume I'm on this list, and I'll put it like this: you don't lay odds on the SBU not torturing and killing you. So anyway, Gonzalo is alive. Yay. We'll be talking more about that and playing the tape from the Duran. And our guest today, two great friends of the show, finishing out the week with Tyler Nixon, our great friend, and in the second hour, Carter Laren. And we'll be talking politics, epistemology, and other stuff with Carter and Tyler and taking your calls 202-521-1320 if you want to wish well wishes to Carter call in even if it's just to wish him well because he might end up hearing this who knows we'd love to give him a show Gonzalo right what did I say you said Carter oh if you want to wish him well, you can do that too. But especially due to, to Gonzalo, don't start any rumors about Carter now, Rod. Rod, so, Rod, what's the name of the show? You're listening to the backstory. Now, I, I, I just have no time for people who are Gonzalo haters. Filling out, they, they learned about Gonzalo from the Daily Beast and then hate his guts because someone else told him to, especially a specious source as the Daily Beast. I should mention something I didn't mention yesterday. I now have the label on Twitter of Russian-affiliated media. You've seen that. I got that badge. No, I didn't know that. That's news to me. I didn't see that. Yeah, check my Twitter profile out. I have the Russia affiliated media badge. I got it a couple of days ago. Now I wear it as badge of honor. 
Let me ask you. Since I'm Russian affiliated media, and you you listen to a number of shows on, on Sputnik and RT, is it likely when you hear someone's Russian affiliated media based on Sputnik and RT, and most of the hosts, and there's a wide variety of political opinions on the hosts, but do you know many of the hosts who got it wrong on RussiaGate? A number of the hosts who got it wrong on Russiagate. Uh, no, I don't think there's a lot of people who really believe. Maybe initially for a second, but not anything past that. Right. So my point is, being Russian affiliated media, if that means RT and Sputnik, it means that I'm in a group of people who got the Russiagate story right. Now, in the Biden laptop story, generally... Who got it right and who got it wrong? Did Russian affiliated media, RT and Sputnik, present that and largely agree with it, that there was a Biden laptop and that emails have been released from it? What did Russian affiliated media think? Russian affiliated media thought it was valid, that the the laptop was real, that it's Hunter Biden's, and that there's a... information that Joe Biden was possibly getting kickbacks for deals through his son. And so there are two major stories that Russian affiliate media was right on. I suppose they put that on there because they they do some other things. I don't just have the badge. They're restricting certain parts of my account. Did you know this? Twitter is now saying they're not going to recommend my tweets because I'm Russian affiliated media. I should be doubly recommended. And what they're doing is committing a logical fallacy. It's called ad hominem. I tell people this all the time. Because a reporter writes for the New York Times, any given story that they tweet, you don't know whether that's true or not. You have to judge the individual story on the individual's merits. Because I'm Russian affiliated media, they're trying to make it out like I've gotten something wrong. And you don't trust him. It's Russian affiliated. As I pointed out, and I could name a bunch of other stories, that Russian affiliated media was more right than mainstream media. Speaking of more right, you heard about this thing CNN Plus, the new subscription service for CNN? Yeah, yeah. They shut down. They're shutting down less than a month after they started. So this is a huge mistake. Business-wise, they launched a new service that lasted less than a month. And that should tell them something. Right? It should tell them that CNN is very unpopular. Right? It's, it should tell them that, Lee, but uh, they're still sticking with Brian Stelter, as far as I know, and, and people like Don Lemon and things like that, their crew. Uh, I know Chris Wallace, I believe he's already leaving CNN after the streaming services uh, shut down. So they're actually doubling down that, that CNN's, <laughs> even though the streaming services is. Uh, 
no more. They're just doubling down and saying CNN's all good. You know, this is the arbiter of truth right here. And I would urge Chris Wallace, as soon as possible, submit an application to RT America. Now, the reason I say that is because they're shut down and he won't be able to get a job there. But some people who are still over at RT just answering your phones and cleaning up or whatever, they would have a nice laugh at Chris Wallace, desperate for work. Because I assume he gave up some good money at Fox to join this shindig, right? Oh, yeah, or his contract was up. Uh, you know you know how these people work. So um, he was probably eyeing that thing, the CNN move the whole time to stick it to Fox, but seems like uh, Tucker's got the last laugh. Yes, and and all watchers of Fox News have the last laugh. And laugh they do, especially after the debate performance by Chris Wallace. 202-521-1320. Let's go to Ingrid. Ingrid, in D.C., what's on your mind? Uh, Odessa is on my mind, but I don't know which clip you're going to play from Gonzalo whether it's the four minutes or he also did a two hour live stream with the Duran today. So anyway, I'd like to be able to go take a nap and just say, now play the two hour clip. And then I, I could be out of here, but I'm not going to do that. We're going to play the four minute clip. That one. Mm. Uh, yeah. Sean and Jackie had a guest on Phil Willato, who's from Richmond, Virginia, who was actually part of a delegation who went to Odessa as a witness of one of the memorials for the um, Odessa fire for the mothers of the victims. And this coming May 2nd, there's going to be a demonstration, small, of course, here in this country, uh, sponsored by United National Anti-War Coalition, to commemorate Odessa. And this is very significant because very few Americans uh, know about the Odessa fire, about the significance of it in the beginning of hostilities between East and West Ukraine. Yes, we've, we've covered it here. And we pointed out, we talked to Robert Bridge and people in Russia and Ukraine know that story very well. But people here in America, they've never heard of it. And and that's true, Ingrid. So go on. Well, exactly. I mean, I, that's only a week away, and uh, it would be good. They're not taking any side. Um, at least Phil isn't in, in the idea of who's at fault here. They're, they're not coming out like the peace groups saying Russia bad, uh, uh get out of Ukraine. They're just uh, saying this is what happened and this is what one of the causes of what happened. And I, I think people might be able to find a way to participate. I think you're not taking a side. Let me say this. When you have a case where there were people in a building who were murdered, not let out of the building when it was, the building was set on fire, some died of smoke inhalation. Some died leaping from the building. This is one of those stories where you should take two sides. That, that you should take a side. You should take a side against the murderers. 
and I do. That's that, that's not what I meant. I, I, what I meant is they're not taking a side on the Russian invasion. They are most definitely taking a side on the Odessa fire and the criminality of that. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate you clarifying that because I think taking that position, the reason there's a reason Americans don't know much about it. The mainstream media here didn't want to cover it because when I say it's against the narrative, even though the invasion was just about, it's about 58 days now, started this year, this narrative of Russia bad and there's not Nazis in Ukraine has been going on for years. In fact, I pointed out it's been going on since 1951, that narrative has been going on, that there's not Nazis in Ukraine, they're freedom fighters. When the INS tried to kick out Mikhail Lebed and the CIA came to Lebed's rescue because they were working with him against the Soviet Union, and they said, no, 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 he fought the Nazis. And against the INS. And then in various forms, that narrative has been around a long time. It's deeply embedded in American history. So the media didn't cover that story because they might expose people to the fact that there are murderous Nazis in Ukraine, and they don't want to do that. So if you get the Ukraine Odessa story right, you're likely to get a lot of things right. Like, for instance, you may be able to say the current narrative about the war is it was completely unprovoked. Russia did it for no reason. Whereas if you look at the actual background, Russia for months prior had been trying to negotiate for years prior, had been trying to get Ukraine to go along with the Minsk Accords. And Ukraine was being armed by NATO, the British in particular, but the US too, was sending them weapons to continue fighting against the citizens of Eastern Ukraine, of Donbass. And if you, if you know that background, then you know that the Russian uh, military operation or invasion, you call it anything you want to. It was not without any warning or precedent. In fact, Ukraine was taking those weapons the British were sending them and was planning to intensify the fight. So they got in, if anything, late. But I think that was also smart on the part of Russia because one thing you see Although it's frustrating to many people that they didn't do this sooner, I think Russia was planning out wargaming, it's called, the, the chess moves. Okay, if the U.S. sanctions us, then how will we respond to that? And Russia handled the U.S. sanctions. It was water off a duck's back. And uh, no huge effects. The U.S. thought it would destroy the Russian economy. But great call, Ingrid. Thanks for the call.
and uh, people should keep an eye out for that. And we'll certainly be uh, commemorating the anniversary of the Odessa massacre on the backstory and hopefully getting a guest on to talk about that. Now, the other thing that's going on directly related to the war, did you see that the Russians have said officially phase two has begun? Did yeah, I did see that. that. Yeah, I did see that, Lee. I did see that, and it, it makes sense with uh with uh Putin's statements and uh, everything else that's coming out. And also, uh, a Russian, I forget his position, but he's a fairly high spokesman for the Ministry of Defense, has said all of southern Ukraine is on the table, and that Russia is going to take all of southern Ukraine. And do you know what I think this relates to? Russia would be stupid not to take southern Ukraine based on whatever happened to the flagship of the Russian fleet being sunk. It shows that Russia can't be trusted. Ukraine can't be trusted anywhere along the Black Sea not to attack Russian naval vessels. Therefore, and they seem confident they can take southern Ukraine. And I think they're confident they could take any part of the country they want to. But now southern Ukraine has put itself up for grabs by bragging about attacking that Russian warship. You see what I'm saying, Ron? Yeah, I think the people in Ukraine are really stupid. I mean, even bragging about that. I mean, uh, you should take your little small victories and just, you know, cheer amongst yourself. Because, uh, like, no, I believe it was um, Mark Sloboda said he, that's why Russia hasn't really talked about it much because they want to they want to uh, trace where those missiles came from, which most more than likely they probably come from a NATO country, um, the UK or America itself. Although, the case against that is that there are no casualties. And it seems likely that there were hit by missiles, anti-ship missiles, there would be some casualties, right? Uh, seems- actually, I was I, I saw an Associated Press uh, alert came, around, uh, came on my phone that said that there was at least one casualty and 27 injured. Okay. So I hadn't seen that, but... Here's the thing. The Russian approach to the information space is different than the American approach. Our American approach destroys. Uh, just look at what happened in Afghanistan. I think you can tell our MO, our modus operandi. The United States likes to lie as quickly as they can. You see that, Rod? They come out with. Yeah a story that's a lie, but they get out quickly to get ahead of the story. Yeah, it's microwave microwave information. Just pop it in the oven, two minutes, boom, here, eat it. It, It's going to make everything well versus Russia, who's preparing a well well meal for people to, you know, to dig into and see how everything is uh, lined up and lined up. So, and some people say they're losing information war and, you know, in a way I, I kind of agree because they're not 
really trying to fight the information war. They're just going about the way they that they usually do. But over, over here on the West, uh, a lot of people are saying they're losing the, the uh, information war. Yeah, and you know, I argued against that. And if someone wants to explain to me how they think Russia is possibly going to win the information war, Russia could have a fully documented case. I've seen this in regards to Syria. I've been to the Russian embassy and I got a book. They prepared a book on, I believe it was what ISIS was doing and how the U.S. was backing it. Russia can prepare the most detailed PowerPoint presentation, a full written report, graphs, slides. They could have a theme song. They could do all of that. They could present it at the Grammys. And still, the media would attack them dishonestly. Someone tell me how to avoid that. You can't, I would argue. The the idea that Russia's just not presenting their case well, and that's why the New York Times lies about them. No, the New York Times' purpose is to lie about them. So, Rod, do you agree with me that there's no way, no possible way, Russia can overcome that bias? No, 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 I definitely agree with you on that. I just believe over here in America, uh, We've kind of uh, programmed or we've been programmed or programmed self to have that microwavable information. We want it now, you know, as fast as possible. Just give me the highlights and, uh, uh, you know, I'm informed. And, uh, you know, you know, you give uh, Hollywood actors like Sean Penn, <laughs> the guy who helped to capture El Chapo. And now he's talking about going to fight for Ukraine. And people are, you know, they're amazed by that. And they take that as uh, as gospel. That's just what Ukraine needs is Piccoli. I'm saying, if you've seen Fast Time Virgin Ramon High, that film is Piccoli. Sean Penn will always be Piccoli to me. The California surfer, a brilliant performance by him. But apparently, the part he was not faking in that is Piccoli's a dumb guy. And apparently, that was not Sean Penn acting. He was using method for that. But, uh, and, and, and I, I would say, like, I asked a question yesterday on Twitter when we weren't sure about Gonzalo's, Lara's uh, whereabouts. I had not seen, hey, did you see any right-wing news service, Daily Caller, Daily Wire, Breitbart? Cover the Gonzalo Lara story? No, no, they didn't. They don't cover it for the same reasons. They're they're the uh, somewhat aligned with the establishment uh, Republicans who also don't want to touch the fact that we've been uh, arming and supporting Nazi neo Nazis over in Ukraine. And I can say this, and with some authority, because he was a friend of mine, Andrew Breitbart would have covered the, covered the Gonzalo Lara story. He would have liked the stuff Gonzalo's doing, and that's the kind of citizen journalism Andrew Breitbart liked on the scene with a camera phone. And Andrew Breitbart would have covered it. The rest of these services are cowed chickens or cowards. They're cowardly. 
they didn't want to cover it because they didn't want to be tarred with Putin apologists. Why? I, I, again, the people who got the story right on Russiagate, on the Hunter Biden laptop, were Russian affiliated media. So when I saw that I'd been labeled with that, I tweeted about it. I'm not hiding it. And I should would urge people, look for the, the Russian affiliated media label, because you're more likely to get the truth from someone with that label than with someone whose label is, I'm a former employee of CNN Plus. So coming up next, Kyle Nixon on Backstory. Backstory on a Friday edition, ending the week here, and we are on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in D.C. and all over the damn region and elsewhere. We're joined this hour by Tyler Nixon, great friend of the show. Tyler, how you doing? You always get the you always get the best content here on the backstory. Well done. <laughs> Sorry. How you doing, Tyler? Can you hear? Good. You guys have me? Yeah. Yes. I can hear you. How okay, are you great. doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I just I just did a, did a great uh, little radio style promo there for you. And I was expecting you to hear the boom. Let's want to try it yeah. again. If I try. You no, always get the. Because they don't hit it, it randomly. <laughs> There's some slots. You'll always get the best but, content here on the back. How, how was. Uh, how was 420 in Denver, where you are? You know, I, I bunkered down. I didn't venture out too much. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm sure it was the same party they throw every year, maybe a little lower key. I think Snoop comes in, and then uh, they do a big concert out at Red Rocks, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's just it, it, the novelty's sort of worn off a little bit. You know, it's so it's so prevalent now. But um, but otherwise, it was beautiful. Beautiful. The weather is uh, just absolutely rocky mountain, crisp blue skies, and it's warm now. I'm so excited for the spring and the in the summer. We're expecting tornadoes here in Sioux Falls. Oof. Yikes. That's possible. Extremely windy weather and hail this weekend. But good lord, you know, I didn't realize that Dakota, Falls, South Dakota was so so uh, turbulent weather wise. It it's it's. I'll put it like this. Yesterday, the day before, it was in the 30s. Today, the temperature is expected to a high of 79, but 79 with thunderstorms. So, welcome to spring in Sioux Falls. You lived on the East Coast, right? At some for a number Indeed. of years, right, Lee? Indeed. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, I personally would prefer a little bit of... Uh, not dangerous weather, but weather that's interesting, you know, weather that changes. I mean, I just remember the mid-Atlantic uh, summers and, and winters. The winters, it was like damp between 30 and 40, maybe 45 degrees, low-hanging gray skies, unmelted or, you know, crappy snow, 
usually pile up from whatever snow came through. And this would drag on into like as late as May. And you'd have rain, all the, you know, days and days of rain. And then the, and then the summers, brutal humidity, uh, just sweltering, you know, with occasional thunderstorms, uh, never a break from the humidity or the heat much unless it was rainy. And, and just that's your, you get six months of that and six months of the other. At least out here, I mean, I, I, it's there, there, you know, and I'm sure where you live, there's there's some change up to the weather. You know, you can if it's hot, it'll be cool soon enough. If it's cold, it'll be it'll warm up. I just I love the weather here. I never expected it when I first moved to uh, to Colorado. I, I had no idea. I only visited during the summer and then a few times, uh, a couple times to ski in the winter. So I never really took note of the fact that you know we get 300 days of sunshine a year. The high elevation means almost no humidity or bugs for that matter. That's, I can't even tell you. I mean, geez, back in back east, you'd be eaten alive by mosquitoes if you were literally sitting at dusk out in your uh, out on your porch. You know, especially true, if worst, you have sweet blood like like me. <laughs> and the worst the worst mosquitoes I ever experienced were up in Rockville, Maine. Maine oh my God! The, oh. You you ever been there? I know exactly what you're. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it, it, again, seriously, scary. Some yeah. of them are armed. Yeah. So, so Tyler, I'm gonna ask you a general philosophical question. We got a couple of clips to play about this, but let me make a observation. I'm gonna get the details wrong. Psychologists years ago, they did a test, and they took a dog or a number of dogs because they ran on a bunch and they put it in a room with a hurdle and some food on the other side of the hurdle. And every time the dog jumped over the hurdle, it got an electric shock. And this is the kind of thing psychologists used to do all the time. So then. What they did was they took away the hurdle and still put the food on the other side. And what they found is the dogs that had been shocked acted like the hurdle was still there and they were going to get shocked. You've heard of those kind of tests where they find that people, once you give them punishment, they're afraid to act normally for fear of the punishment, even the, the, the punishment it's no longer there. You heard of those kind of tests, Tyler? Absolutely. It's sort of a reverse Pavlovian uh, kind of, or taking yes. that to, to the next level. Now, I, I point this out because Republicans, I think, are guilty of this. What they should have learned is that most people don't fall. I mean, this is the failure of CNN Plus after a month, almost immediately, shows that people hate CNN. And the numbers show that too. But yet, Republicans are often afraid to do stuff because they're afraid CNN or the New York Times might take it out on them. And I, I see this happening. We got two clips, one with Kevin McCarthy later, but Let's point this out. They're going after Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're, they're going after her the way that they do, which is pigpile 
focus Alinsky like focus on target and stick with it. Now, once you hear the questioning, Marjorie Taylor Greene got on the floor of Congress today. If I may just interject before you roll that clip, it was yeah. worth three hundred million. It would be worth a billion dollars. And and the, what's great is is their money, CNN or whoever was fool enough to to dump money into such a you know a, a CNN plus. People don't want to watch CNN for free, but anyway. It was worth it to get rid of Chris Wallace from Fox. I mean, talk about a just, oh, I got it. I was so glad to see him go. And just the fact that he went to a complete implosion is just icing on the cake. It's like good riddance and enjoy your doom anyway. Yes, no, no, I agree. And uh, he could perhaps he can get a job with the Republicans establishment, the leadership in attacking Marjorie Taylor Greene. So let's hear that clip, Marjorie Taylor Greene, on the floor. In fact, you think that Speaker Pelosi is a traitor to the country, right? Uh, you're, I'm not answering that question. It's speculation. You, it's you've, you've said that, haven't you, Ms. Green, that she's a traitor to the country? No, I haven't said that. Okay. Can we exhibit five, please? Oh, no, wait. Hold on now. I believe by not upholding the, uh, securing the border, that that violates her oath of office. Fair enough. I'm, I'm not interested in her oath of office. I'm interested in that you said that she's a traitor to our country, right? Uh, I object, Your Honor. She is not. This is, uh, let us say the relevance of that, Mr. Chair. would be correct. This is a hit question. This is an, as any Democrat ever, they called Donald Trump regularly a traitor for Russiagate. Right? Am I right? Did they call him a traitor for Russiagate? They've called and everybody. They've called everybody, every Republican, every Trump supporter a traitor. I mean, it's, it's, their, it's their stock and trade. I mean, they've used every defamatory, uh, uh, you know, uh, word or phrase or expression or condemnation you can think of. I mean, it's a joke. Well, I'm sorry. I, I, what is the context of this? I, she's under, she's a, a testifying in some sort of legal proceeding. Yeah. They're trying to keep her from being able to get elected again from even oh, running. Okay. Right. Right. And no Republican should participate in this period. No. And no, no Democrat should either. If they care about democracy, there's nothing wrong the answer, I think, is, is she was using the term, it was a bit of puffery. It, it's yeah. a term they use in, in free speech. It's, re it's it rhetoric, of, you know. Right. But do you consider Nancy Pelosi, you, Tyler Nixon, a traitor to the country for the situation at the border? Now, I phrase I phrase it traitor okay, to the country. Okay, okay, okay. So let me say this. Not, let me say this. You know, as a, as someone who's uh, as an attorney, as someone who's you know like likes precision and language. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have know enough to say that she's a traitor on that front. Meaning, like as far as the the actual definition of treason goes, but I believe she is in just in a political and an ideological and a philosophical sense. She's absolutely a traitor to this country and to the Constitution. No, right. And and I want to point out there's a, a common 
logical fallacy called equivocation. Equivocation is where words have two meanings and you act as though this guy in his questioning was committing a fallacy of equivocation. And Marjorie Taylor Greene was correct in not doing it. There's two. She's committing treason is one use of it. It's a person. But I use the term traitor. For instance, I say someone's a traitor to Donald Trump. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, or, absolutely. No, it, well, it, it was like the Trump when 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 Trump, what was it? The, the phrase they said that uh, um, Trump supporters take Trump seriously, but not literally. And whereas the his opponents take him literally, but not seriously. Yeah, well, yeah so Trump would, make hyper- would use hyperbole and then there's people are like, oh, my God, he said that, you know, they're having uh, feigning couch events for something he said when it when any any rational well-adjusted, you know, adult human being would know that there's hyperbole, there's salesmanship, there's hype, generally speaking, involved, that it's not, you know, he isn't literally not accusing somebody of, you know, he called Hillary Clinton a monster. Does he literally mean she is a monster? Actually, she literally is probably, that's probably not a good example. Um, But, you know, I mean, I think that we understand the point that there's hyperbole in politics and nobody uses hyperbole in their hypocrisy better than the Democrats. So it's, it's a joke for the, anybody to, to question a Republican on this. No, no, right. And I'm a, I'm a Red Sox fan. And so if I knew a fellow Red Sox fan and I saw him come in wearing a Yankees hat, right, I would could say, what are you, a traitor? And I meant yeah. you're expressing like for a baseball team who we Red Sox fans hate, but I wouldn't accuse him of treason. It's completely different context. And what she said right. is traitor to the country, which is different than She's treason. Right. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. She didn't say Nancy Pelosi has committed treason. She said she's a traitor, which it doesn't, I mean, you cannot, that's a great, you've really parsed this well. Actually, you, know, and you made it clear that saying calling someone a traitor doesn't mean you're accusing them of treason. So, you know, like that's that you're right that 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 attorney, whoever's questioning her is being a little too cute, clever by half. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And she she tried not to fall into the trap. She said, I'm not going to answer that, basically at first. And she just stuck with it. But. This is what's going on. And it's also hypocritical because people have accused Donald Trump actually of treason. Yeah. In a sense. Frankly, uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say that there's less evidence for for Donald Trump having anything to do with foreign influence or anything uh, in, in, in the sense of treason than there is for Biden or Pelosi, for that matter. So it's a joke. They they falsely accuse him of actual treason when their own people have way more to answer for in that light. And, you know, they don't they don't open a mouth. Hunter Biden and China and Ukraine and all over the map selling is selling the vice presidency and now the presidency. I mean, come on, people, because these Democrats are just it's almost not worth trying to break it down. I mean, they're just psychopaths, period. But I think it's worth trying to break down because we'll come back to the Pavlovian response. Yeah. Let's, let's oh, on the Republican the side, I agree with you. Yeah, we have to we have to that there has to be a reckoning with this stuff. And I would love love to comment on it because I've seen it for years and always just was bewildered by it. 
Well, and, I, and I'll ask you about your work with Newt Gingrich, because I have a theory. Newt Gingrich, if I ask grassroots Republicans, do you like Newt Gingrich? I don't know what percentage, but the answer is some, certainly above 30 percent, would say they like Newt Gingrich. Would you agree with that? Oh, easily. Yeah, no, definitely. It's higher than that for sure. I'm, I'm trying to be, uh, I mean, conservative. Real, realistic, my, like the core, you're saying. The defend, people who would actually defend him. Now, now, on the other hand, if I were to ask grassroots Republicans what they think of Kevin McCarthy or Mitch McConnell, do you think they get a higher approval rating? Because I don't. I don't know anybody. No, no, who no, no. You'd be down close to what the the public gives them, probably in the teens. Right, and I'm just saying, you know, a lot of Republicans. Do you know anybody who says I really admire Kevin McCarthy? No, anyone, not a one. Anyone, I mean, no, absolutely not. It's, you know, you know, it's, know. That's yeah. the whole. That's the, that's true of all the establishment. Who likes Joe Biden? Who thinks Joe Biden's the greatest guy ever? Who is like Joe Biden's? You know, same thing. I mean, and think of pick any establishment. Republican figure or Democrat figure, and they're there because now, of the force of their their ego and their uh, perpetual incumbency, and only because they exist in that power seat do people even pay attention or care about them. Nobody likes them. I think is, I think is also uh, a reverse Pavlov thing going on here because Newt Gingrich was part of the establishment in the sense that he was in leadership. So by one definition of establishment. He was definitionally part of the establishment. He was the Speaker of the House. But the current leadership, they, they don't have any base of support. And I don't understand it. And we'll talk about that in a second. Let's play the tape. Kevin McCarthy had been asked whether he had recommended Donald Trump resign over January 6th. Now, we'll come back to that as an issue, but he denied it. But little did he know that he was audio taped by Liz Cheney, who <laughs> gave the tape to New York Times. So let's hear McCarthy saying the thing he said later he didn't say. He said he did not urge Trump to resign. And let's hear this tape that Liz Cheney snitch ratted out to the New York Times. Let's hear this. Um, so what I come up with, I mean, you guys 
Now, there's a tape. The problem to me is not mainly the snitching. It's mainly the entire January 6th narrative is BS and not swearing because of the FCC. But what do you think, Tyler? Wait, no, no, Tyler. Sorry, I had to, I had to unmute my mic. Um, first of all, you know, yeah, it's absolutely it's worse than BS. I mean, it, it is just a malicious uh, it's 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 diabolical because, I mean, it's not, you know, BS is just BS. But this is like going after people's lives and, and literally creating political prisoners. That being said, um, you know, Kevin McCarthy is just just like I said, nobody likes the this is one of the reasons nobody really likes any of the establishment rhino Republican types or Democrat types because they're liars. They're duplicitous. They are untrustworthy to the to the extreme, and they will stab you in the back as, as quick as they'll, uh, you know, kiss you to the, kiss you on your face. I mean, it's just, and this is a perfect example of it. And this is why McCarthy should never be the House Speaker. And I was actually, frankly, you mentioned Newt. I've heard I heard Newt say something, you know, alluding to, oh, well, it'll be great when Kevin McCarthy becomes Speaker. Uh, you know, in the context of the of the Republican uh, Republicans taking the House, and I, I just, you know, I, I understand Newt sort of falls within. He wants to stay in the main of the Republican Party, but you know, here's the thing about Newt Gingrich. Newt was a firebomb thrower who took risks and put himself out there, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene did, frankly, or does. Um, you know, she's way more, she's way more of a Newt Gingrich, uh, or Newt. You know, a Newt is closer to Marjorie Taylor Greene certainly than a Kevin McCarthy. And here's the thing is the establishment Republicans, you know, we had Bob Michael, frankly, for for years and years, who was just like the loyal opposition, never lifted a finger, just was, you know, content to, you know, get a half a loaf of the uh, whatever, whatever's left over from the Democrats uh, avaricious budget table, uh, and, you know, never really pushed back. And this is how we had the government expand so massively throughout the 1970s and 80s and uh, early 90s. And Newt was throwing bombs from the outside. Newt, took, Newt ran for Congress three times before he finally got elected. This man had drive. He took on Jim Wright. He took on the most powerful Democrats as a backbencher and was you know, pilloried for it and, and had his target on his back. And yet what he did and, and in terms of pushing the message and being absolutely committed and focused is he was single-handedly responsible for handing the Republicans the Congress back in 1994. You know, as far as the strategic and the uh, logistical and pulling it together to actually make it happen, versus like the environment was created obviously by Clinton and the Democrats uh, that made you know the perfect conditions. But it was Newt who brought it all together, and they immediately, as soon as he got in there, the establishment and you know. Half-hearted Republicans just wanted to distance themselves from him. You know, he was too, he was too radical. The radical, you know, and and all this nonsense. Yet they certainly were willing to accept the benefits of majority power, of you know, being the ruling party. And they were certainly ready to jump in and and do everything they could for themselves and their nests, feather their nests on the backs of someone like a Newt Gingrich, or in this case, currently a Marjorie Taylor Greene, because you know Marjorie Taylor Greene's running around. She's the one who's drumming up support. Uh, and, and frankly, getting momentum within the grassroots for a Republican takeover of Congress, not Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy was a half a frickin rhino and, and never Trumper four years ago. I mean, let's let's not kid ourselves. And now suddenly because he goes on TV and sort of mouths the usual sort of what he thinks, what they think you know has to be said or that they want to hear, as Mitch McConnell will occasionally do, and never is reflected in his actions or anything he really does. 
you know, has just set and mouth the words and thinks that he's going to be basically the beneficiary of all these people who are taking the hits at the and frankly, one of them is Lauren Boebert here in Colorado, uh, a great young, young fire, uh, you know, firebrand uh, who's pilloried similarly and, and was immediately attacked before she was even sworn in, really, uh, and, and then was accused of being part of some, you know, nefarious plot on January 6th in, in an insane manner. Um, and, you know, these these are the people who need to be the leadership. And I, I hope we've inoculated ourselves to some extent with, you know, Gates and others. And I can't believe that that what, you know, used to be the uh, the uh, Patriot Coalition sort of had to accept a, a McCarthy because they were not never the majority within the Republican majority. You know, it was, uh, there were more establishment Republicans. I think that's shifted now. I think the rhinos and the so-and-sos, you know, the Kinzinger types, they're not welcome in the party. And I think the Patriot, and especially after this coming election, the Patriots will be the majority within the Republican caucus. And McCarthy better, I, I just don't see, I don't see, he's not salvageable. You know, he's just not salvageable. I think it'd be great if they, had, if they really pulled a power move, something unprecedented in American politics that would, you know, really shake up the landscape, which is make Trump speaker. That would be so brilliant, and and just oh my God, it would the the exploding heads in Washington and in the Democratic circles would be just oh delicious beyond. It would be worth a lifetime of of struggle. Well, and also, it's it has to do. This is why I said. They're afraid of the electric shock, but I don't think it's going to come. I think we'd be rewarded with a lot of support from the base. And let me also say this, uh, Tyler, do you think the purpose of January 6th was to send a message to Republicans, don't protest. If you protest and you're Republican, you will be arrested. Or if you protest and you're Republican, they will point out the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys and say they're dangerous groups and saying this is dangerous. Whereas if you're a Democrat, you could protest with, you know, we had black groups during Black Lives Matter out with open carry, something the Proud Boys didn't do. And if you're protesting, you're a Democrat, you're safe. So Republicans know your place. Sit down, shut up. Do you think that's the message of January 6th? Absolutely. I mean, there's no question. It's textbook proto-fascism. And it's called, and, and frankly, that's it's not just January 6th. I mean, they for years tried to irradiate certain subjects or topics in certain people, Newt being one of them. You know, oh my God, you support Newt Gingrich, the Grink Gingrich that stole Christmas. And this is what they do. They defame, they destroy, and they want to irradiate People with like Lauren Boebert, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, like, oh, you're with her, that crazy fringe, you know, you're fringe. And they want people to self-censor. And they do this with like, Tyler you know, Nixon, you have to think. Tyler, Tyler, can you can you hang out for a couple of minutes over after the break? Sure. Love to. OK, we'll keep Tyler Nixon on after the break, which is coming up now. Here's a short break and then we'll return to the backstory with more of Tyler Nixon. Empire of Lies. 
and outside the matrix. This is the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. I want to thank Tyler Nixon for staying on to the break. Coming up this hour, Carter Laron has bombed the hour and taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Now, Tyler, do the honors. Well, you are listening to the best content and the best radio show on the internet, The Backstory. Fantastic. Good job. Well done. Now, Tyler, you've been around politics and I mean, working in real politics. I have a theory on why people, because people who don't know this stuff will say stuff like, well, why doesn't somebody just take on McConnell? Let me explain why. And and if you disagree, either practically or theoretically, feel free to disagree. But I think the reason they don't take on McConnell is he is a bully. He is a bully in his home state of Kentucky, and he's vicious. And if you if someone were to take on Tyler Nixon, not not Tyler Nixon, if someone were to take on Mitch McConnell and challenge him for his figureship or leadership in the Senate, forgive me, Senate leadership, if they lost, do you agree that he would, Mitch McConnell, would absolutely take it out on them? He would cancel committee assignments. He would make their life hell. They would have no power as the means of getting revenge on that person. And Mitch McConnell wouldn't hesitate to do that. And that's a powerful disincentive because, you know, the phrase people might have heard is, if you shoot the king, you better not miss. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. uh, No, totally. Yeah. And then it's the threat of it. Uh, They don't even have to necessarily, you know, follow through. And this is, but this is, this is, this is the implicit threat with anyone who is, you know, sort of the top decision maker, the shot caller in DC in any position. It's true of the Speaker of the House. I mean, if you run, if you challenge Nancy Pelosi and lose, you know, it's over for you. And that same thing, you know, on the on the on the Democrat side and Republican side. I mean, you know, this is this is the establishment way. Intimidation. Dare dare you challenge me no matter what, you know, how you can't have a principled uh, free and open uh, race for leadership positions in which, uh, you know, the people are the the, uh, constituents in this case, you know, the senators or the reps are are able to uh, openly vote some, you know, their conscience. No, no, no. You have to, you have to be unanimous for Mitch or look out. You're going to have the, you're going to be stuck in the, uh, you know, the, the basement of the freaking uh, Dirksen building uh, with, you know, a tiny office and you'll be lucky to get a, a, you know, any committee assignments that are anything worth anything to you. And then, and the door shut in your face. And that's one thing I'll tell you what, I mean, you know, I will say that the only person that coming back to him again, the only person I never saw do that was Newt. Newt could be challenged by anybody within the caucus and anybody in the party, frankly, and he would not retaliate. He would, you know, he was a professor. He was used to the Socratic method. He was used to intellectual exercises and uh, uh, 
principled ideological and political and cultural debates and and you know people disagreeing with each other without taking it personally um which is why i think unfortunately he made made himself uh, you know an easy target for takedown i mean he only lasted what two and a half years before delay and that ilk you know the bushies whatever got in there and you know ran things the way the way the way it always was run not as an open door you know, I'll listen to anybody, even if they disagree with me kind of thing. Uh, but Newt got, you know, they, they went after him and they took him down and that was it. You know, he handed them Congress. And then we got freaking Dennis, ha- excuse me, we got Dennis Hastert. I mean, <laughs> a puppet for Tom DeLay, basically, uh, for years. And, and, and George Bush is president and damn near destroyed the Republican Party forever. So, you know, we, uh, the, peop- the people who keep rescuing the Republican Party from these rhinos and bushies and, and that ilk need to now like ascend to the positions of, of leadership and power rather than just simply being the uh, shock troops and the cannon fodder. So these same a-holes, excuse me, can just, you know, return to the Senate majority leader position and all this, or, or, you know, Mitch McConnell. I mean, come on, McConnell has been nothing but a, he's helped no one in the Republican party in any way. I don't see how this guy helps anybody. I mean, don't give me the old Senate rules nonsense. Let me push back against that slightly. I don't think he should ascend to the leadership positions because they're never going to. The system is set up to thwart that and to get guys like McConnell in there over and over. I think they have to step up and take it. I think it's the only way. No, you're right. Someone, right. Absolutely. Someone's got to be willing to risk. Someone's got to say, you know what? I'm going to lose all my committee assignments, but I'm going to speak up and I'm going to risk it and I'm going to play to the balconies. I'm going to play to the people. And maybe if they had good relationships with certain media outlets like Breitbart, Daily Caller, and they said, look, are you going to sell me out? And then be prepared to go to the mat. I think it's the only hope of the Republican Party. How would you do it, Tyler? Well, I mean, here's the thing: is with friends like Rhino Republicans, who needs Democrats? I mean, it just amazes me. Even as a as a matter of okay, you're supposed to be the Republican leader to to do things like let a Marjorie Taylor Greene or whoever. You know, they they have plenty of leverage. They could they could have uh, saw to it that she wasn't denied committee assignments and things like that if they really wanted to. Uh, you know, and it, it, this problem of like just letting throwing. Uh, frankly, loyal Republicans and who are popular, whether they want to live, whether they like it or not, in the rhino, you know, classes, um, to throw them to the wolves like they do, and to let the Democrats savage them and sort of like you know half-heartedly. I mean, it was like it was like McConnell attacking Trump. It's like, are you serious, man? You got to be kidding me. I mean, uh, this is just it, this is the kind of disloyalty. That it, it amazes me that the, within the Republican uh, establishment that I saw back in Delaware, frankly, in the Delaware Republican Party, the country club, they would rather the party fail than they not control it. No, that's very true. And I think people are sort of aware of that, but they need someone in a position of power who's gotten, I'll put it like this, who's gotten some, who's gotten a toehold, who's gotten at the bottom rung as Marjorie Taylor Greene is, just call us out and go, I'm not playing this anymore. They're going to punish me, but I'm going to tell the truth. And I think that person would have a ton of support. 
Tyler Nixon, thanks for staying with us for the break. Great appearance. Tyler Have a Nixon. great weekend, Lee. Thank you for having me. Always good to be with you. Take care. Take care. That's Tyler Nixon. Now 202-521-1320. Sharif, what is on your mind? Thank you, Lee, for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free June and science, and I thank God that Gazala Lira was, um, you know, that the SBU had listened. Um, I have two comments. The first comment is this. The um, Shanghai port is getting backed up with ships that was trying to dock to um, unload, to um, pick up cargo from them. So the supply train went from severely terrible to Brooklyn. The U.S. going to suffer in the next coming months dealing with the um, the stuff that's coming out of Shanghai that's being, you know, that's slowed down right now because of the um, COVID-19 pandemic there. My second comment is dealing with the um, the Ukraine. The Russians are on the second phase, right, which we all already knew it. Yes. But I was watching them, and basically what they were saying is this. Ukraine is the second producer of wheat, and more than the, the land that the Russians is basically conquering is the is the production of the uh, most of the um, agriculture, the eastern Ukraine and also the southernmost uh, part of Ukraine. And and then the next uh, um the next objective is going to be for the Russian army to march all the way to Odessa. All the way to Odessa is all agriculture. The southern port to the eastern port, so that's going to take away the um, the producing ability away from the Ukrainians, from Zelensky, who also was signing contracts with the U.S. government and other firms like the Saudi um, uh, companies and stuff like that, Saudi Arabia companies, and Russia is going to take that away from all of them. So basically, it's going to be in a, um, um, two thirds, or well, excuse me, one third to a half is going to be in Russian hands now. That's all I wanted to say today. Thank you, Lee. Thanks. Thanks, Sharif. Okay, so, Brave, hold on one second. I want to play the Gonzalo Lira clip from the Duran first. It's about four or five minutes, so hold on, Brave. Let's get to that quickly, because it's it's a long-ish clip. This is Gonzalo Lira making an appearance to say he's okay, but I want you to hear some of the details in here on the Duran. Hit it. Yeah, we're recording. Look, uh, uh, I'll give you five minutes. Yeah, let, me put you, let me put you on. It's, uh, what is it, Friday, April 20th, Friday already. Yeah, we, April 22nd, uh, 2022. Uh, I'm uh, in Kharkov. Um, I'm okay. Uh, I just want to say that um, I'm, I'm back online. And um, I'm here with Alex Christoforou, and um, I just want to say uh, that I'm fine physically. I'm a little rattled. I was um, picked up by the uh, SPU on uh, Friday, April 15th at a little after 1 p.m. local time. Um, I, I'm okay physically. I'm a little rattled. Um, there seems to have been like a lot of interest in my case, which is wonderful. Thank you, but there are a lot of other people who are frankly more deserving of the attention. I've highlighted them in my Twitter feed, the uh, real Gonzalo Lira. Those people matter more because we don't know where some of them are. Some of them are have passed away, but uh, well, some of them were killed. But the other ones we don't know where they are, and so they matter more. I'm okay. 
Um, um, I, oh, yeah, I don't have my computer and I don't have my phone. And, um, and so anything that was published or posted on the Gonzalo Lira YouTube channel, the Coach Red Pill YouTube channel, the real Gonzalo Lira Twitter feed, and the, um, the, the real CRP Telegram feed after April 15th, uh, just discount it because it was not me. I did not have access to those accounts. And I still don't for that matter. Uh, and uh, I don't have my cell phone or access to my uh, email accounts. Uh, I created a new one and that's how I got in touch with Alex. Um, and I've been in touch with, of course, um, I reached out to the, my uh, family members, the, the, the people close to me, um, and, and, you know, I'm telling them that I'm okay. Um, uh, in, in some cases, I'm waiting for their reply because it's three in the morning, four in the morning over there. Um, I'm okay. Uh, physically, I'm okay. Um, I, I don't have anything that I can say publicly other than I'm okay. And uh, thank you for the concern because I've been like checking out on internet some of the stuff that is being said about me and I appreciate so much the kind wishes and the, the, the uh, all the thoughtfulness of so many people and I very much appreciate it. Um, but I'm still in Kharkov and for the time being I cannot leave. Um, the authority here has told me that I cannot leave the city. And, um, yeah, and, uh, but I'm, I'm okay. And, um, none the worse for wear and, and I'm rambling and I'm sorry about that. You know, it's, it's I'm a little bit discombobulated as you can imagine, but, um, I will come up with something clever to say. So I'm going to end here. Uh, just, uh, Alex, thank you so much and just, uh, cut it out now. And there we go. And Gonzalo Lira's new Twitter account that is him and is working is Gonzalo Lira 1968. Gonzalo Lira 1968, no spaces. That's his Twitter account. He was going back and forth with George Galloway and said, and I think there was a, I, I was so happy to hear that. And I, I want him to be able to tell the story, but for obvious reasons, he has, to be, he has to watch what he says about the SBU while he's there. I'm sure if Gonzalo's true to form, will eventually, when it's safe for him, get the whole story. But I wouldn't want to push him on that now because I'd rather have him be safe than we can be patient to get the story. But he was taken by the SBU and released physically okay, but rattled, as he said. So that's great news with Gonzalo Lira. 202-521-1320. Brave, what is on your mind? Hey, what's going on? Can you, can you hear me clearly? Yeah. Okay, oh, guys, I was promised hearing me earlier. Um, I was calling, actually, I had, a, I had a question and a point I wanted to raise with Tyler, but um, I guess I'll, I'll, pitch, I'll throw it your way. But first, if I could comment on the Gonzalo uh, Lira um, uh, audio, um, I know a lot of people online and, and, and a lot of independent media guys that, that we that I follow. A lot of people have been, um, I guess, second guessing or questioning um, 
Gonzalez's um, um, motives, I guess, for surviving uh, <laughs> and, and even um, walking back um, comments they had made or concerns they had expressed uh, for his life. And I think that's, um, I think it's kind of silly because uh, clearly, clearly he was captured, right? And clearly he, he was, um, he, he stayed that they, they had, they had took him, took him into custody, right? And and it doesn't mean that his life wasn't in danger. And, and just because he's making his, his um, audio now, if they're, if they're telling him that he cannot leave, if he's saying that he does not have um, possession of his equipment, it doesn't sound like he's free and clear even now. And, and uh, it sounds like um, whatever he's saying, he's saying not so much under duress, but um, with the knowledge uh, that, that he could possibly still get it. Um, so I, I, w- I would say to anyone listening and anyone in general that, and, and just blindly to the people that obviously aren't going to hear me, but still who were walking back there, uh, voices of concern or doubting whether or not um, this was real or, or whatever the case is because he didn't end up dead. I, I would say to those people that they should really uh, think about what they're saying and, and the situation that, that that man is in and that they are not in and probably wouldn't have the fortitude to be in in the first place. Uh, I think that he's done a great, a great service. No, great point. Great point, Brave Brave. And I hope those boneheads who are saying that kind of stuff get picked up by the FBI, taken into custody for days, and can't contact anyone on the outside. There's no reason Gonzalo Lira should have been picked up by the SBU. There's no reason. He was a commentator. That shouldn't be reason to be picked up. So anyone, I, I, I said, I, I really have no patience for anyone jumping on Gonzalo Lira's case at all, Brave, and good point. Now, let's go on the phone lines, 202-521-1320, to Owl Killer. Owl Killer, what's on your mind? You know, it, it's great to see that uh, Gonzalo Lira is uh, still alive, because I know it was up in the air as of yesterday. Um, you know, and I, I agree with you, and I, I think the people that are that are like trying to justify him being taken into custody or, you know, being harassed. I don't, I don't think people understand like when at at the end of all this chaos, when like order is sort of restored, whatever comes out of it, I don't think people get how quick the pendulum can swing and you can be on the, uh, the receiving end of the, this type of behavior and, you know, these type of uh, thug tactics by your own government. Um, and, and other governments of the world. And that that's what scares me so much because I see so much of the degeneracy and the just lack of respect for people with another opinion that eventually, I, I, I think if it gets bad enough, somebody does come that says, I'm going to make things back to normal. And you're going to, you're really going to get what they would call fascism on the other side where they're on the receiving end. And I, I don't think people take, I don't think people understand how serious of a threat that is to, you know, when, when, cause people are always, they always want to get somebody back when they get into power. And I do, th- I do see the um, ability of, I, I do see the world um, stage right now set up for not just one, but uh, several type of, um, you know, proto dictators, to emerge. And I, I've seen news articles where they're saying how the world needs a few good dictators. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for, because the, the, the world is set up. We are in the fourth turning. 
and there, who knows what comes out of it. Um, I will. I do want to say one thing. Um, Trump gave a speech at the Heritage Foundation um, over the weekend, I believe. And one of the things he brought up was how the this climate, the, the Green New Deal, and the, the uh, this threat of the end of the world with the, with climate change is, you know, it, it's a threat to wreck our society. I think that is. I, I think we need to be as as um, crazy as we think they are, we should be on the other side. Like I say, drill forever. And if the world boils over, it just does. But let's live comfortably. I, I think somebody should just say that. And I, I think they will get a bunch of support. No, I, I disagree. I think that that is a reaction. It's not a rational position. In my experience, there's a rich history in conservatism of wanting to and and I can even express it in a Christian term of being good stewards to the land. And I'm going to say the person who benefits from a lot of this pollution, I think, is a giveaway to big companies. Because if a big company, in other words, you individually, what you can do is you can litter. And I think you shouldn't litter. And most people I know who are conservatives, particularly people who live in rural areas, respect the land. People who hunt and fish respect the land. And uh, in a fundamental way, in a different way than city dwellers who say they respect the land. And what that means is they wear an earth they pin. But I think a lot of the pollution that we see you know, if you live downstream from me, I can, you know, I could pee in the river or something like that, but it's nothing major. But if I'm a big company, I can dump barrels of stuff in the river. I don't think that's better. And I think that some of it, I know what you mean. They were, they've been talking about, you know where I've seen the big change? It's nuclear power. Nuclear power used to be demonized heavily, and I was not one of those people doing it. This goes back 30 years, because I read a book by Peter Beckman called The Health Hazards of Not Going Nuclear. And he points out that nuclear power is one of the safest forms of energy. And it scared people because they think of nuclear, they think of bombs. So I, I think... We should be careful. But what do you think about that, that old killer? That a lot of what we see, and by the way, the people who are paying the money for anti-environmental stuff are often big companies who just want to be able to, you know, be haphazard and be random with their waste, dispose of it wherever they want to. So, Al Killer, what do you say? Well, I, what I again, I agree with conservatism being good stewards of the land, and you know, I, I'm that's not what I was saying. But as much as you're talking about big companies, you know who started peak oil? It was the big oil companies, so they could charge you more for less. It was British Petroleum. It was, it was all the OPEC companies. They were the ones who came up with peak oil. 
And they're the ones that are funding the carbon tax right now, as we speak right now, because people are still going to buy coal and they're still going to buy oil. They're just going to charge you a bunch more for uh, a less of a service. That That's what I'm getting out. This artificial scarcity that the, this Davos group is rolling out. Somebody should be on the opposite side. Let's be let's be clean. Let's be safe. But we're not going to change. We're, we're not going to not take showers like they're advocating in England. Hey, don't don't take showers outside of every three days. Like that is the stuff that that we're not going to eat bugs. And that's over. That's what I I think there should be a counter to the extreme environmental movement where we can meet in the middle. No, I agree with that. But it has to get in the middle. And what I'm worried about is the people on the right fall into these traps where they end up advocating position that they wouldn't really advocate. They, they don't realize how much these energy companies, like you, like you mentioned, that came up with big oil, end up funding Republicans. And I don't think we should be beholden to any company. And I, I also see some people come out and they hate on, I, I have no problem, like electric cars. I like the idea of electric cars. But don't make it out. Now, but let's be honest, where the where's the electric being generated from? It's being generated from coal. So look at the carbon footprint of that. You can feel better that your car is not emitting gasoline fumes. But what what is generating the electricity that you're charging your vehicle with? Like it's at least know what you're talking about. And I don't mean you. I'm just saying people in general, you feel good because you drive an electric car and then the, the electric car is powered by coal from China. And what what happens is they they take a reactionary position and they don't understand that you need to go through iterations of technology for it to get better. Electric cars used to take more power to charge and they used to not have a big range. But as the technology improves, the battery efficiency improves. But you can't just jump to the efficient battery. You have to go through those stages. So I think talking about the balance there, like electric cars are going to get better. You follow me? It's like a feel about solar power. Solar power is good in theory, and it's just not there yet as a workable technology. But as solar cells are able to take on more power, they get better and more practical. But you have to go through that stage. And that's where I think a lot of Republicans fail to see that. They criticize today's technology and don't see the possibility. Whereas Democrats make act like the technology of the future is here today and just not. And this brings up, Al Killer, a discussion I want to have with Carter Laren, who's our next guest. Do we have Carter online? Okay, so let's take a break now. When we come back, we'll talk to Carter Laren, and I'll give him a hint. And I'm going to put in terms that he knows, as somebody knows objectivism, the philosophy of Ayn Rand. I see a lot of hatred of achievement as such when I see people discuss Elon Musk. They don't recognize what he's accomplished. And what they, what, when I see people down him 
as a crony capitalist, I would argue that the reason a lot of people hate him is they hate achievement. Here comes a word Carter knows, qua achievement. I've made Tyler, I've made Carter smile there. Carter knows qua. Ayn Rand talked about, used that phrase a lot. Man qua man, and so on. And achievement qua achievement. But when we come back, we're talking to Carter Laren on a Friday edition of The Backstory. Friday edition of the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., and all over the damn internet. I'm Lee Strana, and joining us now, great friend of the show, Carter Laren from unsafespace.com. Carter Laren, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Lee. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm glad you're on because I wanted to talk to you about this. Now, you. You, I, I'm not wrong. You're familiar with the phrase "qua," right? You you didn't just make me smile. You made me laugh out loud when you said that. So yes. <laughs> well, no, I'll, I'll also put what I am talking about in an explicitly Ayn Rand term. I see Ayn Rand sometimes talked about the concept of the hatred of the good for being the good, and I see that a lot with Elon Musk. And few people admit it. Few people come out and say, I'll put it like this. I'll, I'll take LeBron James as an example. LeBron James is a, I don't agree with his politics. I don't agree with various statements he makes. LeBron James is a freaking unbelievable basketball player. And I see this when people criticize anyone. They'll criticize LeBron because they don't like his politics. Then they'll denigrate his basketball playing abilities. That to me is hatred of the good for being the good. Or when people criticize a beautiful woman and they don't like her politics, but then they attack her for her beauty. Not a valid reason to attack somebody. And with Elon Musk, you can criticize him, but when the, he is out there, every statement he's made about why he wants to take over Twitter and what he stands for and what he believes in is great. Every statement I've seen is pro-free speech and everything else. Then they call him a crony capitalist. And Elon Musk is a brilliant person and he's a visionary. And he's a visionary along the lines of, I would say, Steve Jobs, who also gets a lot of this. Steve Jobs was not the guy with soldering iron. Steve Jobs was not the guy who wrote the code. Steve Jobs was a visionary who saw that a computer could look different and feel different than it's existed before. And I see Elon Musk as a visionary. And he's involved in areas like transportation. But that metafactory that he built out in Vegas is hugely innovative. 
you don't do that simply through corner capitalism. Now, Carter, do you think I'm misapplying the concept of the hatred of the good for being the good? No, I don't. I think it's. Uh, I think you're using it correctly, and I think e- Elon's a great example because, um, you know, there are no actual Randian heroes in the world. I mean, those are fictional characters, so everyone has aspects of their personality that are less than admirable or aspects of their life or achievements that are less than admirable. And Elon's one of these guys that I, I think, uh, you know, you could always admire his brain and his business savvy and his, uh, his intelligence. I mean, he was part of the PayPal mafia. Um, and then after that, he, you know, I certainly had mixed feelings cause he did take a lot of government loans and stuff. And I, and I viewed that as kind of grifty. Uh, but that's how a lot of business People work. I mean, he was in the, you know, Tesla obviously is in the clean energy kind of space there. And so he took advantage of what he could and did what he could in a very pragmatic way uh, that that people normally wouldn't criticize other people for. Um, They're criticizing him because he's successful. And then I and then in the last, you know, several years, you've seen him become more and more interested in um, some of the principles that matter to Western civilizations, particularly uh, free speech. So. I, you know, I, is he perfect? Of course not. But I think, you know, there's an issue where a lot of people dislike him, not for any of the things that you or I might say, yeah, probably he shouldn't be taking government loans or probably, you know, he's, you know, uh, in bed with regulators in this way or that way. Although we've seen that actually he's quite opposed to them and has an adversarial relationship with many of them. Um, but they hate him because he's successful. Uh, and it's the same, like there's a lot of, let's pick someone else. There's a lot I don't like about Bezos. Um, I mean, there's someone who's way more in bed with, with government. And, you know, I think CIA had, was it the CIA that has a 600 something million dollar contract for AWS? And like, there's, he's definitely, you know, less of a Randy in here and, and more of a crony capitalist. But that doesn't mean you can't admire his business savvy. The guy obviously knows how to build a business and did it very successfully. So I think, you know, people pick on Elon. They look for anything that to dislike about him when if they really were introspective and and admitted to themselves what they dislike, they're jealous and they dislike that he's successful. That's what they dislike. They hate the good for they hate his success. They hate the good uh, for being the good. And and I think that Republicans can fall into this because it's a human characteristic. It's not fundamentally about ideology. It's a human characteristic. They do it for a variety of reasons. Envy is one of the reasons. Uh, to make up for their lack of achievement is another one. But, and I agree with you about Bezos. Here's the thing. I, there's a lot I disagree with Jeff Bezos on, but what I don't disagree with him on is the achievement in logistics, which is significant. It's significant what he's yeah. done on logistics, and I benefit from it personally, and every, everyone, every, everyone who uses Amazon benefits from that, but there is a group that does pursue this position ideologically, and that's socialists. I've noticed this 
And when they talk about Bezos, for instance, they'll act like Jeff Bezos has accomplished nothing. And they'll act like the important person at Amazon are the people who deliver the packages. I, I disagree fundamentally and completely. The people who do the work, I'll put it like this. If you were a fast food restaurant, Carter? I have worked at McDonald's when I was, uh, I don't know, 16 or so. Yeah, there you go. Me too. So you, in fact, made the burgers, but you were right. a cog in a wheel. And I'm not talking about you personally, but me too when I worked at McDonald's. Uh, I was happy to be invented, a cog in the wheel. I was making money. Yeah. Right. And and you didn't have to come up with a, a method of cooking. You had to follow instructions. And if you did that, you made a McDonald's burger, right? Yep. And have you noticed that a lot of socialists explicitly, they'll say like, well, Jeff Bezos isn't responsible for the money that the company makes. Yes, he is. And if you think that, try taking a McDonald's fry cook who started out, who's a perfectly good McDonald's fry cook, and put them in charge of the whole restaurant. Put them in charge of buying food for the week or scheduling people. They won't be good at it. And at a mega level, look them in charge of, of scouting real estate. But don't you notice that socialists explicitly make that mistake when they talk about the interchangeability of management and workers. Yeah, I mean, two, two points to make there. The first one I'll say is uh, if you want to see that they hate success, um, just look at the difference between how a lot of people on the left treat mom and pop businesses versus how they treat successful empires. And the only difference between a mom and pop business and a successful empire is usually, I mean, sometimes it's, it's ambition. They don't want to, but usually it's competence. That's the difference. Um, Jeff Bezos could be running a bookstore uh, in Palo Alto, but he's not. Uh, he, he's running Amazon. And that's because he had the ability to do more than run a bookstore. And they would be praising him if he was running a bookstore in Palo Alto. Um, but they hate him because he could do more than that and did. So a, a way to see through the envy is to see how they treat small businesses that are less successful as opposed to large businesses. But you're also touching on something that is a pet peeve of mine. And I've tried to stop doing this, but it, you know, we grew up with this and it's just in our vernacular. I don't like the, uh, the phrase working class. It's a Marxist phrase and it implies that people who aren't doing the manual labor aren't working. And if you've ever started a company and I've started several, uh, you quickly learn that the person who works the hardest and, and contributes the most are the founders. That's the people that, that, um, that start the business and, and build it from scratch and put their heart and soul into it. And yeah, sometimes they end up with rewards that involve private jets and their own spaceships, but that's rare. Um, and, and that takes a lot of effort and a lot of skill and a lot of intelligence and sometimes some luck. But the, the idea that Elon Musk isn't the working class Elon Musk is exactly the working class. That is the working class. He works his ass off. I mean, we have a mutual friend who's been 
who uh, hung out with him a lot, has been camping a lot with him. And, and he used to come back from camping trips and say, the guy doesn't do anything while we're camping. He just works. He works while we're camping. The guy works. So I really hate, and, and again, it's just this Marxist socialist characterization that there's working class and then there's the owners of production as if production just came down from aliens on high and landed on the planet. It didn't. It happened because someone invented it, risked their money, risked their time and effort and worked their ass off. Excuse me. I don't know if I could say that on air. Sorry. Worked their butt off to get this, to, to have that plant built. Someone figured out McDonald's so that I could show up as a 16 year old and know basically how to push the, the, the grill down and wait for 45 seconds and flip a burger. Right. That's, I'm not making anything. Anyone can do that. No, right. And and the idea of being a cog in the wheel, that sounds like it's negative. I don't mean it in a negative way. You need to be able to build your business so that if the guy who's the fry cook quits or dies or starts his own business, you can replace him and be in business still. Because if it, if the business depends on one person, if the business depends the car is the only one who knows how to flip burgers. And if he leaves, the business shuts down. That's not good for anybody. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to develop a system by which different people can come in and do that job. And that's part of what the work is. The guy like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos did, but on a huge scale. But am I essentially right there, Carter? Yeah, I agree. And I, and I just want to clarify something. I'm not making a moral argument that one is better than the other. I mean, not everyone wants to be a founder. I mean, sometimes I don't want to be a founder. Like there's, there, people have different priorities in their lives and, you know, it's appropriate that there are, there are jobs where you can go, you go from nine to five, follow the directions, get it done, go home, get a paycheck. I mean, that's a, that can be a fine uh, choice and life for someone that's like, there's, there's nothing morally different. Um, you know, the, st the standard of morals isn't money. So if you, if you want to spend more time with your family and you don't want to be worrying about work after hours, you know, don't start your own business. Um, that's fine. There's no, I'm not making a moral argument about that, but what I am saying is success isn't immoral, which is what the, the left that's really the attitude of the left is that you've only succeeded by some malevolent force that only malevolence wins. And that if you're successful, you must necessarily have an abnormal uh, portion of malevolence forcing through your veins. Right. And, and also it's ignorant of, as you say, you, you run businesses and start, started them. You have that experience, and you know when someone on the left denigrates that experience, they're ignorant. They, they simply, they're either being dishonest or they don't know what it's like to start a business, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only the kind of thing that you can say in an industrialized society. Um, because you can only criticize that if you're in a society in which the norm is to work for someone else who's done all that work. If you rewind 300 years, I don't think anyone would say, yeah, like 
those those lazy people they're doing their own business that blacksmith who's lazy like the people wouldn't say that everyone had to 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 kind of fend for themselves and our standard of living is high enough now that you can look at people and say hey i don't like how you know his his standard of living is so much higher than mine and you know i'm the one you know who's the cog in the wheel so i'm making the burger or whatever it is that's you know, it's champagne socialism. You're you're coming at this from the perspective of someone who's got a pretty cushy life compared to 99.9% of humanity for all of time. No, and and now you, over at unsafespace.com, you've been ahead of the curve in criticizing woke culture. But have you noticed that both the Russian government and and Vladimir Putin himself and Elon Musk criticize woke culture? Other people who aren't in the pundit game have noticed the problems, the corrosive effect of woke culture. And Elon Musk made the point recently that woke culture is making Netflix virtually unwatchable. And are you proud of being ahead of the curve on that, Carter? I mean, I don't know if I'm proud as much as frustrated. I mean, there's... I mean, you know, Lee, if you, if you've been kind of on the the libertarian end of things, uh, as long as you and I both have, uh, a lot of this stuff you couldn't predict timing, but you've, it's it's the stuff you've been saying over and over again that I've been saying over and over again. It's not there's no special. It's not like there's an IQ requirement or some kind of brilliance that allows me to see this stuff. It's just. Uh, an honest look at at the philosophy and ideas and and, uh, you know, really engaging with them rather than just repeating narratives. And if you do that, you look and you say, oh, that's where this is going. That's what this means. Um, you know, there was just a clip recently of uh, I forget who it was. I wish I could remember who it was, but it was someone on Bill Maher being mocked for suggesting that um, some 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 of the radical, the more radical trans activist stuff would start happening. And this was just a couple of years ago. And everyone's mocking this person like that's not going to happen. You're an idiot. You're just you're you're seeing things that aren't there. This isn't really going to happen. And here we are a couple of years later and it's all happening. And that, that happens over and over and over again. And, you know, it's not it's nothing. To, I, I don't think it's anything to brag about to be right, because I don't think it's hard to be right about it. Uh, it just takes willingness to to see uncomfortable facts and to not fit in with your peer group. And, and fitting in with your peer group brings me to my next point. I was thinking about the woke left or whatever. One of the things that needs to be pointed out again over and over again is there's a cult. You've talked about that. And it's cult-like. It's very cult-like, including enforcing cult orthodoxy. and. I don't know if you were paying much attention to politics then during Occupy Wall Street, were you? A little bit, yeah. I so I think woke think destroyed to, them. Yeah, think back to that that period. One of the things that I think frightened a lot of people about Occupy Wall Street that they never seen before is the mic checks. Cause it's very cult seeming. It's a bunch of people repeating words right so my check my check then whatever they're saying and they use that i think that was the first glimpse many normal people had and now we're seeing through libs of tiktok 
and stuff like that. Where do you think that cult? And by the way, this is why I think, and I think you'll agree, this is why they hate free speech. Free speech is inherently a non-cult activity. It's inherently the domain of individuals and individual brains. But what do you think the impact of this cult conditioning is on the left? Well, I mean, that's a that's a big question, right? Because I. Well, first of all, with Occupy Wall Street, it's a little bit sad because they were on to something. There was a real legitimacy to some of their angst. We do have, uh, we actually do have a crony capitalist oligarchy with uh, between the banks and the Federal Reserve and and the Treasury. Like that actually does exist. It's not capitalism. Um, it is a cronyist system, uh, well, and it and is that, immoral. And, and, and it's, like that's true. I love it. Can I interrupt you for one second? I was living yeah. in Dallas at the time Occupy Wall Street started. And I went to the first Occupy Wall Street march, and it was on the Fed in Dallas. And there were as many libertarians as there were leftists there. You can tell by the signs. It was a very yeah. libertarian left thing. And I think the reason Occupy Wall Street got screwed, screwed up is the leftists took over. Yeah, I don't know if you remember uh, Peter Schiff uh, went out to Occupy Wall Street with a microphone and, and interviewed people and stuff and tried to educate them a little bit on, hey, you know, you're seeing a real problem. You're misidentifying it, but you're seeing a real problem. And uh, of, like you said, you know, it had been taken over by the left. But I think, you know, to answer the the big question here, something that there's a lot of different shows on Unsafe Space, but one of them is called Dangerous Thoughts, and it's a live show I do every Wednesday night, and it's a little bit more about philosophy. And on that show, one of the things I talk about, and I, I just I just made this up, so take it take it for what it's worth. I, I you know this is just my own analysis of things, but I think there is a historical dance between psychological dysfunction and bad philosophy. And I think that dance happens over generations. And I think you see um, predispositions for um, bad, or bad, let's say psychological disorders. You see those predispositions and they need rationalizations for their behavior. And that leads to the development of philosophies that are willing to rationalize this bad behavior. In other words, philosophies that are disconnected from reality in some way. And then the, the existence of those philosophies actually uh, encourages the manifestation of further psychological disorder in the next generation. And that kind of cycle continues and one redounds upon another. And we, we get to a point where we are today where the philosophy behind some of the stuff that the left is saying, if you haven't been paying attention to philosophy for the past 150 years, sounds crazy um, because it was a slow, slow movement in this direction. But you know, they literally don't think reality exists. They think that words reconstruct reality. Um, they, they don't, they think that, uh, you know, reason and logic and math are, are tools of white oppression that, that they're just, there's, you know, emotions are just as fine a way of knowing, or just as fine epistemologically as reason. It, they're just absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous statements that if, if you, distilled them to their essence, most people would say that's ludicrous. They can't possibly think that. But in fact, they do. And most of this 
ideology is built off of these horrible, horrible ideas. And the reason that it's gotten this bad is that dance between bad psychology and bad philosophy, which is why we have not only that horrible philosophy, but also an epidemic of cluster B personality disorders all over everywhere you turn. There's someone with borderline personality disorder, whether they realize it or not. Sometimes they advertise it in their Twitter profile, but there is just massive, massive dysfunction psychologically. And the only thing that they can use to justify their behavior, because God forbid they, they try and uh, get help, uh, is the craziest kind of philosophy possible that, that tells them there's no such thing as men and women. You can identify as a dragon and that's absolutely fine. And, you know, don't worry, math is a colonialist tool of oppression. How you feel about two plus two is the answer. And this stuff sounds absolutely crazy to most people because it is absolutely crazy. But crazy has won because we let this dance happen over generations and generations. And, you know, we've been sitting in the pot and uh, the frog is boiling alive now and very few people are are realizing it. And I think also that that existence uh, has been exacerbated by social media because social media yes. is in a very real sense uh, an extension of the human nervous system. What I mean by that, it allows you to experience, to see, to hear instantly all sorts of things. And Twitter allows you to express random thoughts, the kind of thoughts that people's heads are full of all the time. But they have no way to let them out in public. And what you find is social media is an extension of that. And I'm not blaming social media. I'm just saying garbage in, garbage out. If you have a bad philosophy and bad psychology, and you introduce it to social media, guess what? That's what you're going to get out. What do you think of that, Carr? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say this dance between bad psychology and bad philosophy has been taking place for a long time. But once we got technologically to the point where you could uh, connect with so vast number of people, I mean, you know, historically, you wouldn't know more than a few hundred people your entire life, and you would know them personally, and you would see them. Uh, and now... You know, you log on and it's millions and millions and millions of people you may interact with over the course of your life, most of whom you'll never meet. Um, you have either com either complete anonymity or pseudo anonymity, which means the consequences for uh, your misbehavior or for um, just reckless statements and reckless behavior. Uh, you might not ever have consequences that accrue to you. Um, and so it means that good people get smeared and attacked and ruined. And bad people can rise to the top and get adored and loved. Sometimes it happens in the reverse, but it's it's definitely exacerbated the problem. And I think accelerated the collapse of uh, of Western civilization. And I don't blame social media either. I don't have a problem with the tech, and I think it was a good idea. And there's lots of good that comes out of it. But it is a real it is a real issue, um, and it's unfortunate that it arose. Um, at a time when we were in already as a culture in such a precarious philosophical and, and psychological state, we were already on the on the brink of self-destruction. And along came this accelerant. And that's very unfortunate. Carter, do you have anything you want to plug before the, the, we end the show? Uh, anyone interested in the Elon Musk Twitter thing? I just did a I just released this morning on Unsafe Space 
a an interview with a an M&A expert who's a friend of mine who walked us through what the options are, what Elon's likely to do, what will likely happen. So I would encourage people to go check that out if they're interested in that story. Carter and Laren, great conversation and great conversation with Tyler Nixon earlier in the show. Thanks to all our callers. Great week. And phase two continues. Z, everyone. This has been Lee Stranahan on The Backstory. Backstory.